What's up, everybody? This is your host for Falma Tushevsky, and I am putting together another compilation episode. And this is more so on the side of training um, my views on proper functional training, rehab training, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Just good old fashioned training with a purpose. And I wanted to bring these four particular episodes in because. Number one, these are about four years old, and it's interesting to me that four years ago, what I say in these episodes are almost a precursor to me looking more in depth to how to improve a human being's mobility, strength, flexibility, you name it. And, you know looking back at these episodes and re-listening to them just goes to show how much a good coach can improve in four years. And, you know, I've been mentoring coaches for a while now, and it's interesting to me when you get past that year mark, two-year mark, you start thinking outside of the box. If you're, you know, passionate enough to you know, never stop learning, And even for me, this past weekend, I went to Seattle for a kettlebell certification. And, you know, to be honest, I've been in the industry for 12 years and have my RKC, which is one of the hardest freaking kettlebell certifications to get. And you know what? I still learned a lot of new different things because I'm on this quest of always, you know, improving my craft, which is training and connecting with individuals and making them move and feel better. And I can't stress enough how vital and important it is for coaches to not stop learning. You know, there's always something new. There's always someone that may portray or say a certain thing that will make something in your brain click to for you to fully understand a concept, a training progression, a injury thing and how to deal with it a little bit better than what you may have heard before or what you think that you believe based on a, I don't know, Instagram post. So I really wanted to emphasize these four episodes on training specifically and how I approach clients and how I try to get them better. And it's so cool to look back four years ago on how I looked at things and literally almost the same, but so much more in depth, like thinking about almost that, you know, Google Earth thing where, you know, you have a location and you, you know, click zoom out and you see a little bit more, you click zoom out and you see even more and then you click zoom out again and now you see the whole picture and that's how a good coach should, you know, develop over the years is constantly hitting that zoom out um, button on Google Earth to see the entire picture of what's going on with the client in front of you. And for those who are just fitness enthusiasts, this is very important for you if you have a coach that's like passionate about learning more. If they are, then you got a good coach. You hold on to him or her the entire time. If you have a coach that hasn't gone to a course in the last year, you need to start looking elsewhere because you are not going to get the best bang for your buck that's out there. I know a lot of coaches that don't think continuing education is important. They just go on Instagram and YouTube and find whatever looks cool and then implements that into their sessions. That's not going to help. Having a coach that takes the time to understand the anatomy, the psychosocial model, the mental side of things, and continually learning from the best in the industry those are the kind of coaches that you need to have in your life. A little bit of a tangent, I'm sorry, but I'm just super passionate about learning and making sure that our fitness industry becomes better because there's so many people out there that need help and it's our duty to make this industry better. So enough of this rambling that I have going on. Let's get into episode 104, 107, 113, and 117. Here we go. 
Um, so what I'm going to get into today to stop working. There we go. Um, this idea behind progressions and regressions um, in training. So this is going to be valuable to both coaches who are listening to my show and the fitness fanatics that listen to my show just that are eager to learn more and more and more. So, you know, I think as a coach, we tend to overthink things all the freaking time. Like we are always eager to learn something new. We're always eager to learn a new exercise. We're always eager to learn whatever new thing is out there and start implementing it with our clients on Monday, which is great. Like you're, it's awesome to see um, coaches so passionate about something new, but at the same time, you should follow this whole idea and principle behind, you know, keep it simple, stupid. Because I think a lot of times when, you know, I sit down and write programs for my clients, I'm like, okay, what's an exercise they haven't done in a very long time? And it becomes like this almost like circus act. And then I have to like take myself back and be like, what the hell am I doing? This person just needs the basics. And I think as a newer coach, when you get into the industry, you tend to always go to the flashiest thing. If there's a new piece of equipment that's, you know, been advertising all over your Facebook and you're like, oh man, that's so cool. I'm going to buy it and I'm going to start using it on Monday. You don't really need it. Like people overthink exercise so much, even from a perspective, a, from a person that is not a coach and just wants to exercise on their own, you know, they'll see a cool core exercise with the TRX and they're like, oh my God, I need to be doing that in order to get a six pack. When in reality, you should probably be sticking to bird dogs and dead bugs until you can progress to something more advanced like that. And, you know, I've been having this conversation with uh, my intern. Uh, Shout out to Emily if you are listening to this. Um, I took on a coach to kind of mentor under me and learn as much as possible. And a lot of times when we were talking about programming, um, you got to keep it simple. Like, you don't understand how simple programming can be where you'll see the progression you want your client to be at and at the same time all their aches and pains go away so this is really interesting anytime i get a new client um, coming in they all complain about oh my knee kind of hurts oh my hip kind of hurts and sometimes my shoulder does this weird thing and then my low back sometimes gives out i'm like perfect Like this is almost every single client that I've ever taken in and they've told me this in their little consultation with me. So then I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to do the same thing I always do. Like every single person that comes in when I train them goes through the same templated um, program unless there's some like really specific things I need to work with the individual because they have an injury. But every single client on day one goes through the same program that I give everybody else when they start. It's learning how to activate your core with the bird dog and dead bug. Um, I teach everybody how to hinge properly, so deadlifting. I teach everybody how to do a T-Rex row because every posterior exercise is really important for the general population. And I teach them how to squat properly and what the difference between a squat and a hinge is. And then I teach them how to do a split squat or a reverse lunge to learn... um, you know, unilateral uh, exercises, and that's it. Like, really simple. There's no magic to it. It's really simple. And they follow that for a month, and then after that first month, I add a little bit more to it. So building upon layers. That's how I program. And doing that in that kind of order will bulletproof your client in the long term. They're not going to feel super sore every single time they come into the gym. They're going to progress at the rate you want them to, and they're going to be pain-free. So then, you know, three, four months down the road, I'll ask that same client that came in complaining about their aches and pains, and they always give me the same answer. They'll just go into, like, you know what? I haven't really thought about my lower back issue, my shoulder issue, and my knee issue. And I'm like, because the programming is freaking amazing. But really, it's 
really simple. So when in doubt, always do a push-pull leg exercise, core exercise, and some sort of corrective or some sort of like heavy carry. Like These are the things that coaches and people who are interested in learning about working out is what you need to focus on, not something stupid that you saw on Facebook that is going to give you shredded abs. It's not going to do that. And, you know, going into staff meetings and talking with other coaches about programming, you know, you get to a section where you're like, okay, I need to think of four different, you know, strength exercises for this client. And then you're trying to think of every possible exercise that's not the simple one that you should and you almost progress that client too quickly now when it comes to like injury prevention you the more the more you can go simply the better and the tough thing is you know clients always want the newest coolest exercise but in reality you need to keep it simple. If you went, like this is the analogy I give to all my clients, is that when you start training with me, it's like if you just signed up for a karate class. You're not going to learn all the black belt stuff first. You're going to learn everything from the white belt. And I don't even care where you came from because I've had millions of different clients, you know, tell me like, oh, I used to work out a lot in college. I used to deadlift. I used to do this. I used to do that. And I'm like, awesome. We're still going to go to the basics. Because most of the time, I've, ne- I've never seen a client tell me all those things and have them true to what they told me. And an example is like I had this one guy tell me like, oh, yeah, I used to back squat a lot, deadlift a lot. And I'm like, yeah, sure, okay. Um, we'll do the program and then after show me your form. And the form was just fucking god awful. Like just, just stop, right? My eyes are bleeding. And... You know, from a client's perspective, they think they could be doing something correctly, but if you don't have a coach with experience looking after them, they could be doing the wrong thing, and then over time, something's going to give. It's not going to happen right away. So say you're deadlifting with, like, a slightly rounded posture where your lumbar region is. You know, maybe not in that first week of you training that something's going to happen. Maybe three down, three months down the road, something will happen where you're like, mm, I pulled something and it doesn't feel that great. So the analogy I also like, I, I love analogies, by the way, and it connects to clients so easily. So the best way to put this into words is that those people that go onto the dance floor that think that they're really good dancers, but everybody around them are like, yeah, no, you should stop doing that. It's the exact same thing when it comes to the gym when clients think they're doing the exercise correctly, but from a coach's perspective, you're like, yeah, you should probably stop doing that because it's just going to cause further issues down the road. So if I had to break it down for anyone listening you know, focus on the basics and you can always go back to it. Like even for myself, when I'm programming, I'm not trying to do the hardest exercise that makes me look like I'm going to join Cirque du Soleil. You go back to the basics. Like think about Olympic weightlifters. They have three lifts that they practice all year round. They practice and practice and practice and somehow they're getting stronger. They're getting leaner and they're doing amazing things in their sport. So, like, what's the secret sauce? It's going back to the basics always. And, you know, they're not trying to find a exercise that they're balancing on, like, three medicine balls with a stability ball on their feet while doing push-ups and then jumping off it. Like, no, it, you don't need that crap. And clients, if you have a coach and you go into your session and they give you something that in your head you're like, "Mm, I don't really think I can do that, then it's probably an exercise that you shouldn't be doing. And this is why I always go back to the basics because then you can build upon the pattern so much easier. So when you go from like a rehab sense, like this past uh, weekend I did an an assessment for my sister-in-law and 
she was complaining about hip pain while squatting. I'm like, okay, well, let's do an assessment. Let's see how your um, squat mechanics look like. And I already knew, like, there was something going on in her hip. Further investigation, I'm like, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start breathing. This sounds stupid, but a lot of people don't know how to breathe properly. Like, to actually breathe through your diaphragm, a lot of people actually have to use their brains and think about using their diaphragm and not their chest. So that was the first thing I gave her. Like, let's just breathe for 10 good reps. If you can't get to 10, we're going to restart and really focus on using your diaphragm. After a couple of minutes, she started getting the hang of it. I'm like, okay, perfect. Now you know how to breathe. So now let's groove the pattern of your squat. So even before getting her upright, I got her on her hands and knees and just letting her rock back and forth while breathing properly in that squat pattern. Now I'm grooving the pattern. I'm like, okay, now let's get some more feedback. I got her against the wall, face forward, and wanted her squat as low as possible before her face hit the wall. Now she figured out what her range was. Now we have layers, like I said earlier. So she started with breathing. She started grooving the pattern, and then she started getting feedback of where her squat mechanics should stop, and now let's go load her with all those things that we just did, and her squat improved instantly, right? And I didn't do any, like, crazy thing that you might have seen on YouTube or Facebook. It's the basics, and people always tend to forget to always go back to them, and you know, as a younger coach, I used to do that all the time. Like, oh, I want to find new exercises. I want to do this. I want to do that. But really what people need is always going back to the basics. I've never had a general population client that was so advanced that I had no more ideas what to do. Because it's really easy to take the basic exercises and add more load, add more volume, add different things to the environment to make it more challenging, but still working the same thing. Now I'm going to stop it there because I can ramble on about this over and over again, but actually I'm going to add one more thing. It's called the shit test. So I was telling this to another client a couple of weeks ago is that there's this concept, I think Mike Boyle came up with it, is that you know if you see an exercise and someone's doing it and it doesn't look quite right, you use the shit test. Does it look like shit? Yes then most likely it's shit. So when you see if you're in a public gym and someone's doing something you haven't seen before, keep watching. And if your brain does not say like, oh, that looks cool or wow, that looks really difficult to accomplish, then most likely it's an exercise that the person shouldn't be doing. It's this idea of like, I don't even know what you need to call it. It's, it's a circus act, like... <laughs> Don't fall a victim to the exercises that look so challenging and so whatever. Like the whole point is, is stop doing the circus acts, a circus act um, exercises, and go back to the basics. Build upon those things, and you will get stronger. You'll lose fat. You're f- you'll feel good, and you have a lower chance of injury. And those are the things that a general population need. They don't need no fancy exercise. So if you are always squatting and split squatting and doing push-ups, doing an overhead press, doing a heavy carry, doing some sort of pulling exercise, stick to those and play around different rep schemes, different loading patterns, different volume things, descending ladders, ascending ladders, like time sets, whatever it is, but always stick to those basics. Like Dr. John Rusin, for example, who I am super excited about to interview in April, um, like he coined this whole idea from probably Dan John because he kind of started everything. Um, the idea of doing a push, a pull, a leg, a core, and a heavy like carry um, is what you need on a daily basis. You don't need anything else. And then maybe like some sprints at the end. But again, Keep your programming, your exercises really simple. You have a lower chance of injuring yourself, and then you'll have this long period of time where you can train and see the results you want because the last thing you want to do is try a new exercise you saw online, injure your hip, and now you're out of commission to train for like three months because you tore something. We don't want that. Um, Now, let's get into the good stuff for this show. So... If you've been following me the last couple weeks, 
I did a couple posts about um, doing an assessment for my sister-in-law where she was complaining that she had pain in her hip while squatting. And, um, you know, I got a lot of good feedback. People were asking me questions like, oh, what did you do? Like, what assessment did you give her? So I thought I would just like break it all down here because, you know, writing it out and doing a couple videos doesn't do it justice. So to kind of give some background to um, the client. So I'm going to use this almost like a case study. So my sister-in-law, um, she is 22, 23 years old. So, you know, young, hasn't had any kind of serious injury. She used to uh, run high-level track in high school, stopped, and now she's kind of on the quest to get back into shape again like she was back in high school. So she started working out on her own and has been kind of following the stuff that I've been putting out. And um, one day she noticed that when she was squatting, she had like a sharp pain pulling through her, what was it, le left hip? Yeah, left hip. And... Um, she asked me, hey, like, this happened, like, what should I do? And automatically, like, any coach out there should know this. When you hear a client say, hey, this really hurts when I do this, you stop, and then you refer out. Um, so her being like every other client did not go to physio or Cairo because clients never <laughs> listen to advice that you give them unless you, like, really hammer it through. So I told her, okay, obviously you're not going to go to physio or Cairo, but... Let me like take a look at you, see what we can, you know, kind of figure out, and hopefully I can help you. So the one thing that I got online was, you know, people ask me, okay, what assessment are you doing with clients? So, you know, over the years, I've taken so many certifications, um, watched a bunch of different DVDs and lectures, and been to conferences, and I've kind of developed my own little assessment um, system. And, you know, if I actually put in a lot of time and effort, I will take about 30 minutes to get through that assessment. So if I had to explain what the assessment is, it's a combination of the FMS, uh, TPI, Eric Cressy's Assess and Correct, and some other ones I've picked up over the years and kind of meshed it all together to kind of give me a, a blueprint of how this individual moves and functions. And this is what I tell, you know, a new client that comes in that's a, and I tell them that, all right, so when we do this assessment, all this is going to give me is a blueprint of how you move. And also it's going to give me any movement that you experience pain or it just doesn't move that well. And they're like, oh, okay. And I tell them right off the bat, I'm like, I can't diagnose what the hell's going on in your body other than, hey, this is tight. Hey, when you do this, it hurts. Let's not do that. And let's refer you out to a physio or chiro. So for all the newer coaches listening, I would highly recommend get, getting your FMS level one, then look at the level two. Also look at TPI, which is also influenced heavily by the FMS same kind of principles and concepts, but it doesn't have a scoring system and it's a pass or fail. And that's one of the things I've been telling um, my intern I have right now is that, you know, the FMS has a scoring system, but I personally have shied away from it because now there's so much, you know, if I had a client, I scored their FMS and they moved away and they went to another coach and I said, hey, this client scores a 18 out of 21, but then the new coach um, FMSs them and they get a 15 and they're like, hey, their squat was actually a two, not a three. So there's a lot of room for error on that part. So I just look at, can they do the movement? Yes or no. Do they have trouble with it? Let's break it down layer by layer and figure it out. So that's how my assessment kind of works is, you know, I use the building blocks of the FMS and say their squat doesn't look that great. I peel off layers to figure out what the hell's going on, and that gives me more information. And the other assessments I picked up over the years, I put those into the layers to figure it out. So an example is, um, you know, the FMS squat, you have them in an overhead position, they squat down, it looks horrible. I go, okay, let's elevate the heels, which is done in the FMS. It improves a little bit. I'm like, okay, I take the dowel away, cross their arms in front, kind of like the Arnold Schwarzenegger front squat. 
it improves. Okay, maybe there's um, something with uh, shoulders, maybe there's something with hips or something with ankles. Next thing, I check ankle mobility, which is from the TPI, and then it gives me more information. Um, and then from there, knowing that, say, they had some sort sort of like shoulder issue, I go into like an external internal rotation assessment to see if they have anything there. And it just layer by layer, right? So I take the backbone of the FMS and with each correlating movement, I've added my own little assessments to it to give me more information. And I think as you get into the industry, I think you should do that. I think you should experiment with other assessments to give you more information and that's going to better your experience with your client and your client's going to appreciate that extra attention. Now, going back to my sister-in-law, there was a couple things I noticed. So in her squat, um, there wasn't a sharp pain. She just said that, you know, I kind of, I could feel it and she would shift her weight to the opposite side. So obviously that's a movement pattern that she developed because ever since she injured her hip or whatever the hell is going on, um, her body now found a way to do the movement differently so it won't experience pain. And that's what the body usually tends to do is whatever you injure, you injure your ankle, your whole body is going to change your gait to not put so much pressure on the ankle to cause pain. So your body will try to maneuver around pain and you can kind of use the same concept. So I came up with this idea, like, you know, if your body naturally does that with any kind of injured joint, why not you as a coach do the same thing with your programming, like move away from the injury, but still address it at the same time. Um, so as we went further along, um, you know, we checked shoulders, shoulders were fine. Um, her uh, T-spine rotation left and right was fine. Um, when we got to the active straight leg raise, she got a three on each side. If you're scoring it, like no issues whatsoever. I'm like, okay, it's not a stability issue. And then we went into the toe touch. She had a little bit of a struggle to get down to her toes. I'm like, okay, maybe it's a mobility problem. And then I checked her hip internal and external rotation and honestly, like both sides were uh, pretty tight, but the injured side, she definitely had um, a huge restriction. And to a certain point of internal rotation of her left hip, she felt that same pain. And I'm like, okay, now we figured out like whatever you're doing internally on your hip, there's, there's shit going on. And I just told her like, this is as far as I can get to kind of figure out what the hell's going on with your body. So this is where I would love to send you to a chiro or physio to kind of figure out what you should be doing. And then I um, took it a step further and checked like glute meat strength. You know, who knew that, well, like there's no surprise that on her left side, which is her injured side, super weak compared to her non-injured side. So I'm like, okay, there's that too. And then we did a video uh, assessment of her squat, and I looked at it, and already, like I posted the video, so if you go on my social media, you'll see this. If you look at her posture, she's in such a lordotic state that you can literally see how tight her hip flexors are. So she has that arch already. And I'm like, okay, she has really, really tight hip flexors, and when we did the hurdle step, she had to externally rotate her left and right hip to get over that hurdle. And I'm like, okay, she's also running on her own. So the fact that she has limited hip flexion to be able to run her strides, she's probably always going into that, that internal rotation run that I've seen a lot of people do when they're tight on their hips. And I'm like, okay, well, you're practicing a dysfunctional pattern over and over again, and then you combine it with some like weight training on top of it, then yeah, your body's about to like implode and injure itself. And then when we further looked at um, her video of her squad, if you notice like the before and after video I posted, you know, she has great depth, and then she also has that butt wink. And, you know, it's a heavily debated thing, like, you know, should you butt wink, should you not? 
And in my opinion, when it comes to people dealing with pain, maybe you shouldn't go to full depth that you can. I think it's she has more of a pelvic pelvic floor dysfunction when it comes to stability because her hips are all over the place when it comes to core stability. Um, so when I looked at her squat, I'm like, okay, we're going to give you some stability that you need. I'm going to teach you where your range is. Like I, I use the analogy that you know you have a car, your body's a car, and there's so many different moving parts for it to all the work. So in my sister-in-law, bless her situation, her brakes didn't work. So the fact that she would go past 90 degrees in her squat, have her butt wing, her hip would hurt. She just didn't know when to use her brakes. So I wanted to rearrange how her brain transmits information to her body to tell her body to stop at certain points of her squat and learn how to use the brakes and stop and then come back up in your squat. So this was a sequence. I wanted to have her learn how to breathe because if you've been reading anything to do with fitness and health, breathing is huge. So that's step, like baby step number one. So I got her in a supine position, knees up, one hand on her belly, one hand on her chest. I told her, I want you to breathe into your hand on your belly 10 times. No surprise here, she could not do it. So after some coaching cues and after explaining what I wanted her to do, she started getting the idea. I'm like, okay, perfect. Now we're building a little bit more awareness of what I want you to do. Then I got her into a quadruped position, so a bird dog position, wider with her feet, and I put um, like two tension relief system balls or blue balls or whatever you want to call them on her lower back. I told her where to find her neutral spine, how I want her pelvis because I didn't want her to be arching so much. And we did simple rock backs with the breathing and telling her where to stop before her hips would do that butt wink. We did that a couple times. Now she's getting some feedback with the balls on her lower back. If it rolls back and forth, I want those to stay still. Now she has that external feedback of where she needs to stop. And then we went into a half kneel position and I got her to do a simple hip flexor rock back with the idea of her back foot on the toe, tilting her pelvis forward, squeezing her bum. And I made sure on that left side where her knee was down, I asked her, do you have pain? She's like a little bit. I'm like, okay, just ease off. Don't go into that zone where you feel pain. Just rock back gently. And at the same time, we are still practicing her breathing. Now we're getting things you know, going. And the last thing I got her to do was something called the face the wall squat. So this is a corrective exercise I give to so many of my clients. For those who don't know what the face the wall squat is, is you literally face the wall with your body and you squat as low as possible without your face, your knees uh, touching. And this will give you an idea of where you're allowed to squat for depth. So obviously, if you go toes touching to the wall, it's going to be really difficult. So I tell people, you know, find the happy medium. Don't be too far off that you can squat easily. Don't be so close that you can't squat at all. Find that middle ground. So we found her middle ground. And like, who knew she would stop right around 90 degrees in her squat. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do 10 reps of that. And I want you to remember where you stop like make mental notes every time you stop at the bottom and then drive up with that breathing that we've been practicing she's like okay then with all that we did only one set of everything i'm like okay let's film your squat again and if you go back to that video her squat improved tremendously i'm like boom you see this this is what you need to be doing in your squat to make sure that you're not going to injure yourself again and we did a couple of things also with her foot position right because she would usually squat with her toes straight and again if you know anything about the fms squatting with your toes straight is going to make it really difficult for your hips to go into um good depth so we went a little bit wider of her stance we Actually rotated her left foot outwards a little bit more than her right because of her injury. And when we had her finished product of her squat, she had no pain squatting. So I'm like, perfect. This is what I want you to do every time you squat. So those little correctives could be part of her warm up. And then now she has that confidence 
knows how to use her brakes, aka, you know, in her car, and she's able to work out without pain. And I think this is what good coaches should kind of get across to their clients that, hey, you know, if you injured your shoulder or your knee or whatever have you, there's still a chance for the coach to figure out a way to have you exercising without pain. And I think if coaches tip the time to figure out how people move and do a little like extra assessment to figure out different ways to have them move, then why not have them exercise and at the same time still take them to physio and Cairo to give you more information. Right? I always tell all my clients, your body's a giant puzzle, um, like a giant puzzle. The more pieces you can find to add to it, then you'll have the broader picture. So, you know, me doing this assessment only gave me, say, two more pieces to the puzzle. But then if she ended up going to Physio and Cairo and they did their magic of whatever they're doing, they can figure out a lot more pieces, send that information to me, and now I have a very individualistic approach to this client. Now, that was a lot of information, and maybe for the newer coaches, they were just like, what the fuck are you even talking about? Which is okay. And this is what I was telling my intern, is that you know when I first got certified through the FMS, you know I'd take people through the FMS, and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. It took time to see patterns, see like common trends that you know this client had the same thing with this client, and then over the years of learning other stuff about the FMS and movement, it all kind of came together, and now I have a really good understanding of it. So the more you can assess people, even filming them when you're assessing them, so you can make mental notes, see what worked, see what uh, didn't, and you'll have a pretty solid foundation of how to assess people. Now, today, what I want to bring up is an interesting thing in my industry, and I think this would do well both for you know the fitness enthusiast and the coach. So I've been in this industry for about eight years, and the one thing that's really interesting is that you know there's so many presenters and coaches and researchers, and they all have their own opinions. And you know if you kind of fall into one way of thinking and you know everything sounds right and it makes sense to you and it kind of forms into your own opinion that's okay um but then when you start you know exploring every corner of this industry you start to see you know almost like a cult-like following one way it's either this way or no other way and i think as a coach, you know, I think you should explore all different types of avenue, different training methods, different point of views, different philosophies, read different types of research and kind of form your own opinion. Like I've been to a lot of conferences in my career and everybody has their own system or application to training, rehab or whatever, and a lot of it contradicts each other. And I think what you're supposed to do as a coach is to figure out what works best for you and stick with it. And then the next step is to be able to be open to other ideas. Because the one thing that's really shitty in this industry is that a lot of coaches are very closed-minded. You know, you could meet another coach and you know, start talking, getting along, and then you ask them, hey, what's the top five coaches that you follow? And they start saying names. Two scenarios can happen. They start saying names you don't even know. And you think of yourself as a, you know, pretty um, educated coach. You read a bunch of articles every weekend. You know, you've bought the latest DVD that Gray Cook came out with. And this trainer that you're talking to is spitting out names of coaches you've never even heard of. And you're like, okay. And then you start finding out what, what their training style is. And you don't really agree with what he or she does. 
you know, for the most part, I think for a younger coach, their initial instinct would be like, wow, this person's an idiot. They're wrong. I can't believe they train that way. Everything they're going to do is like will blow up the world and all their clients are going to die of injury. No. The thing you need to do is respect their view on fitness, their principles, and whatever they do because, you know, if they're making a living out of it, they're doing something right. You know, it's really easy to judge, be like, oh, you follow this person from CrossFit? Well, you're a fucking idiot. You shouldn't be training. It's like, oh, you do this style of training? You know that's so bad for X, Y, and Z. can't believe I'm even talking to you. A lot of times, these coaches that you meet and they're confident enough to tell you what their training methodology is, they're probably so set in their ways that whatever you tell them is just going to go through one ear and out the other. You know, you can't, like that whole saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks applies here. But maybe, you know, down the road when that trainer goes to a conference four years from now and hear someone like Stuart McGill speak and they're like, holy shit, I can't believe I've been doing this with my clients. I need to rethink my process. That's what's going to happen. Sometimes you need, like, people forget that maybe they haven't, like, found that next thing that switches their entire training idea and opens up a whole new world to them. This kind of sprung on me because... Um, actually today, um, I went to my day one of my FRC certification and, you know, Dr. Spina, the way he speaks, he's very, um, he's very confident in what he believes in. And he made a bunch of jabs to like kettlebell people, CrossFit people and yoga people. They, he made fun of like everybody, but he's very confident in what he does and that's his methods and everything like that. And, you know, maybe someone who is a CrossFit person could disagree with him completely, but isn't a asshole of a human being to go tell him that, hey, you know, this whole FRC thing is bullshit. The right thing to do would be like, you know what, I don't really agree with you, but this thing and this thing and maybe this thing that you brought up in this course would actually help me help my CrossFit clients do X, Y, and Z. So this is kind of how I view things. You know, like I've seen a lot of different methods out there. Some of them I was like, okay, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I'm pretty sure it's not supported by science, but you are servicing so many of these people that need help and they're feeling better. There needs to be something to it. And maybe you just like pick one little thing out of there. You go to an FMS course, you pick one little thing out of there. You go see Stuart McGill, you pick one thing out of there. You see Craig Liebenson, you pick something out of there. You see Charlie Weingroff, you pick something there. And now you have this huge arsenal of tools from all these great minds around the world. And now you can kind of create your own opinion and by meshing everything. This is how I look at it. You know, the more conferences I go to, I pick people that have their own systems in place. I want to see how they use that system, how they implement it with their clients, patients, whatever, and see if I can take one or two things and use it as my own and maybe down the road, you know, put it all together. So I think I told you guys when I was assessing my sister-in-law I use like a combination of different assessment tools that I just picked up along the way. And I think as a coach, you should go down that direction, you know, start having thoughts for yourself. So for me, when I first started, I would say the first four years, I kept my mouth shut. I learned as much as possible. I read, I listened, I watched over and over and over again. And when things started making sense, I started thinking, hey, this would be really good if I combined this thing with this. And that will make my client be able to do this. Squat heavier, lunge better, correct their shitty deadlift form. They'll get themselves out of pain, X, Y, and Z, whatever, whatever. And 
you know, as a fitness enthusiast, like you should find a coach that is constantly learning and constantly changing their mind. So one of the best advice I've ever heard in my life was from Mike Boyle. And he said that he pisses a lot of people off because he changes his mind all the time. The moment he reads something or sees someone speak and convinces him that the way that he's coaching is wrong, he will switch and change things up. And I think that shows like a really humble person and the fact that you can admit that, you know what, the last year, whatever I was doing is completely wrong and I'm okay to admit that and I'm going to change my method here to improve this. And, you know, if your coach is doing the same thing you did last year, they're probably not the best choice for you. They need to be constantly learning. Like there's always new research popping up. There's always something different out there that you could be doing and I think this is why everyone should be going to conferences reading stuff constantly and following certain people in the industry to mimic what they're doing and you know potentially making their clients better and you know coaches will have differences I'm pretty sure if you put you know Gray Cook uh, Greg Liebenson, um, Dr. Spina, and you know Charlie Weingroff all in the room. They all have their own systems in place of how to get someone out of pain. And they might disagree with each other, but they're not at each other's head saying that, no, fuck you, man, you're wrong, you can't be talking about that, that doesn't work, blah, 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 blah. They can appreciate what the other person did and then just live their life without saying like god damn like that guy's an asshole and i think with our industry there's so many coaches that have different opinions and you know right away one coach wants to call the other one and just judge each other and that's not making our industry better if you go to a conference and you start judging every other coach there like can't believe that guy's barefoot what an idiot or can't believe that guy's wearing chuck taylor's what an idiot like that's what coaches do and it's not like a thing that just happens it's so weird like how people do that and when i look at this industry i want to make it better so if i can find information that's useful and then put it out there for free as much as possible i'm making my industry better i don't want to keep it all to myself and judge other coaches that don't know what they're doing I want them to get better because then they're going to help more people. You know, you're not in it by yourself. The coach that you see at the conference beside you, they're there to learn to better their clients. You're there to do the same. Why would you want to be in competition with them? Right? So I think the take-home message in this one is everyone's going to have a difference of opinion. But at the end of the day, if they're getting their client to lose 10 pounds, feel better, move better, get out of pain, then why are you bickering about training methodologies that really nobody cares about? As long as you can get a client from point A to point B without pain and get them to crush their goals, then boom, end of story, you're an awesome coach. And for all the fitness enthusiasts, ask your coaches if what the latest thing that they're reading or what course they're going to take. And if they're not, they can't give you an answer. Maybe you should look for another coach. So let's get the show started and chat about my current thoughts on training somebody. So... Over the years, I've been really influenced by people like Gray Cook, um, Charlie Weingroff, um, Tony Gentlecore, Deaton Somerset, uh, Eric Cressy, Stu McGill, those kind of people. And, you know, they gave me a great basis of how to screen someone, know how to program for somebody, and it gave me enough information to help another individual and as i've been going through my career i've been always kind of looking for you know the kind of not the next thing but something more than what i see all the time because you know you you stay in this industry long enough and it's just people 
regurgitating the same info with a different spin on it. And um, when I got my FRC certification, you know, Spina said, like, all the stuff that I'm going to talk about already exists. You guys know it. But he organized it into a system that makes a lot of sense for me. So I'm a po- at a point right now where, you know, I said it on my show before, I use the FMS along with other screening uh, techniques that I've picked up along the way, and it gave me a good basis. But now, after u- using the FRC system, I could almost throw out every assessment tool that I have and just use the FRC as a screening tool to figure out what the hell people are doing with their bodies. So. The reason why I like the FRC, it's so simple. It's so, so simple. Um, I think the way I want to start this is like the first thing we learn about, um, about like the hands-on stuff is something called CAR. So they're controlled articular rotations. So you can take your joints through um, articular rotations. And if you see something funky, like for example, your neck should go into forward flexion, lateral flexion, you go into extension, and you do a full nice little circle. So that should that shit should work nice, as Spina would say. It should do that full rotation, no bumps in a row, no nothing. But you get someone to do it who sits in a desk 10 hours every single day, you see some funky shit. And you're like, okay, this is the first signs of what we need to work on. So, you know, I've been experimenting with all my clients that have been posting it online and starting with the neck the most common thing i see is people lifting up their shoulders to their neck to meet their head rotating they'll start rotating their entire torso they'll start like twitching with their eye because something's not working like it should and you're like okay we got some cervical issues this is already like the first thing that you put someone through you could already see at least three or four things that you need to work on, and maybe even um, you know refer out to a chiro to help you. And this is where the FRC and manual therapists work really well. Is that if they understand what you know uh, closing pain means, you can actually chat with that other chiro or physio to kind of help your uh, client slash patient move and feel better really quickly. So. That articular rotation you can do for every single joint. And what's interesting for me is when I was going through it, I realized that my left wrist compared to my right has less extension. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, I I thought I was pretty good. And when I was going through the course, I'm like, man, my hand is messed up. And essentially, if you can't do full uh, wrist extension... Doing things like push-ups is really going to torque on those joints, and over time, you're going to fuck your shit up. And I'm like, fuck, I haven't even checked all my clients' wrist extension, and I'm probably making shit worse for them by doing that. And then, you know, I went out and experimented, and a lot of my clients don't have full wrist extension to do push-ups And then on top of that, put their body weight into it. And you're like, fuck, I've been doing this for years and I'm making it worse for them. So, and going back to me with my wrist extension, for some reason, um, like I do push-ups all the time and it doesn't hurt. But if I get into a um, wrist um, stretch, for example, to go into extension, I have range. So... Actively, I don't have full extension, but passively, I do. And for those who don't know those terms, imagine if you are lying on your back and I told you to lift your leg up for a hamstring stretch. Whatever you did on by yourself is active um, flexibility. Now, if I stood over top of you and decided to take your foot and push it a little further, you'd probably get another 20 degrees of range in your hamstring slash hip, and that's you know passive um, flexibility. So for my wrist, the fact that I can't actively extend it to where my other wrist is means that I just don't own it. And that's the whole idea behind the FRC is that you need to own your range of motion and doing things like cars and pails and rails, which I'm going to talk about next, is going to um, fix that issue. Now, 
you know, learning about cars, just, you know, something really easy just to think about it, um, what it does. And this is what I really like about it. You know, it helps maintain the range of motion you have, and it'll increase the range of motion you have because, you know, it's just like learning a new skill. So if I decided to tell you to start playing hockey and you're going to be put in net, that, you know, quick snatch grab of the goalie's hand of the puck is a required skill. The first time you do it, you're not going to be great at it. But after time and time again, you're going to be quicker and more efficient on grabbing that puck when someone shoots it at you. And same thing with cars. Say with my wrist, the more um, articular rotations I put in every single day, that joint's going to move a lot better, a lot smoother. And then now I can start challenging it with things like pails and rails, which again, we're going to get into later. Now, it's also... Like I said, a great screen. You can see what joints do what. And also, you can also rehab it. So say I sprained my wrist and I'm like, fuck, what am I supposed to do? Most people are like, okay, I'm not going to use it. And until it starts feeling better, that's when I'm going to start using it. But, you know, that moment when that first inflammation goes down, you should be using um, your joints to send muscle signals um, to the joint that's injured to start rehabbing it. And that's the other cool thing is learning about this course, you know, one way of rehabbing your um, joints from injury is to be able to communicate with your muscle cells. So muscle cells or just cells in general in your body can communicate with things like hormones force, stress, and a host of other things if you take in cell bio in university. Now, what Spina talked about in his course is that in order for you to communicate with your muscle cells, you need to add stress or force to it. That's the way to communicate. They don't have their own brain to be like, oh, I tore the ACL, it's been repaired, now I need to lay down more connective tissue and collagen in order to keep it stable. That doesn't happen. Most people get their ACL redid and for six weeks they don't want to put any pressure on it because it's painful. But you know, right away after that first inflammation, like you should start adding movement into that knee joint to ensure that all the new muscle cells being put down and all that connective tissue and scar tissue being laid down is going to be laid down in a specific way to keep that knee stable to prevent you from tearing that shit up again. And this is where the next kind of layer of the FRC comes into play is pails and rails. So what pails and rails are is essentially just isometric contractions and isometrics to basically communicate with the neurological system and nervous system in your body. So the idea of, you know, isometrics and eccentrics and things like that have been around forever in the rehab game. But again, like I said, um, Spina put it into a system that makes a lot of sense. So if I were to um, gain more, you know, active range in my external rotation of my shoulder. So for those people who don't know what that means is think of putting your arm up into your side like you're going to do an overhead shoulder press so pushing your wrist behind you is external rotation now a lot of people with shitty shoulders don't have any external rotation so what you would do is say you get through a doorway you can use a trx or whatever have you and with one you're going to get into a passive stretch where you're going to feel a little stretch through your shoulder and chest and you're just going to hold it there and then going into a pales contraction Meaning that now I'm going to push my hand into that TRX or into that door frame for about 10 to 15 seconds. That is now me communicating with my nervous system saying, hey, dude, I want a little bit more range of motion in my shoulder. Can you give it to me? Nervous system goes, you know what? Because you're cool and doing the stretch and... I think you deserve another 10 degrees of range of motion and external rotation. I'm going to give it to you. And now you stop that contraction. You can move a little further forward, uh, for a little further forward, and you're like, oh, shit, I got more external rotation. 
Now you're going to hold that range and get used to that range of motion. This is the steps to owning more mobility in your body. Now you're going to go into Pales contraction, meaning you're going to basically do the reverse. So now with that new range of motion, my hand is against that doorway or TRX handle or whatever you're using, and now I'm going to pull my hand off of that handle, off of that doorway. Most of the times when you're in these stretches, um, you won't even be able to move your hand. But if you're actively thinking of pushing off, that's going to send a lot of good signals into that rotator cuff, uh, shoulder capsule, like everything that is supposed to give you external rotation is going to wake up and be like, shit, you want that range of motion? We are going to give it to you. Now, that is just like the second layer of stuff. Like there's stuff that you can play around with, like adding, you know, um, blocks around you. You can add that. There's just so much stuff that you can do with this. And, you know, everybody says like, oh, I need to be more flexible. Oh, I have shitty hips. Oh, I have blah, 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 blah. And this whole system gives it to you. And, you know, you can essentially do like an FRC workout for, an entire hour if you wanted to, but, you know, as a coach, you need the best of two worlds. I'm like, okay, clients are coming to me because they move shitty and they want to lose weight. I can't just get them stretching for an hour because they're going to be mad at me. So what I've been doing is literally I've been starting with like step one. I'm doing cars. So those controlled articular rotations with clients in their warm-up and just doing it in their warm-up, like I'll do neck, Shoulders, you know, their scapula, their T-spine, hips, and maybe I'll throw in one or two that's really specific to them, say ankles or wrists. And then from there, I'll do some actual like uh, movement training where you're doing lunges, you know, um, maybe some lateral bounds, things like that to actually get movement. So we start from really simple joint rotations to more advanced movement stuff that's going to get their heart rate up and warmed up and blah, 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 blah. And every client's like, man, like these car things fucking suck. And I can tell that my left hip is worse than my right. So there's a lot to it. And this is just little baby steps. And I think as I teach my clients how to do them properly, I'm going to give them some more advanced stuff. And I've been playing around with little pails and rails for um, some particular clients for rehab. And... They're like, why is this shit so hard? And I'm like, because over the years, like your body is an efficient unit of machinery. The moment you sit at your desk every day for 10 hours a day in that 90 degree position, your brain goes, hey, you haven't deep squatted in a while because it takes a lot of energy sucking crap in your body in order for you to deep squat we're just not we're just going to tell you that you're not allowed to do it anymore so then when these people who've been working their nine to five job of sitting they go to the gym to get fit again and they're like shit i used to deep squat and now i can't get past 90 because my hip cramps this is because your brain and body are efficient machines of keeping you alive but we were all at one point able to be so flexible and so mobile that if essentially, if you don't use it, you lose it. That's how this whole thing works. And that whole principle, if you've ever seen the 40-year-old virgin, that saying has been in my head this entire time. So everyone had this range of motion of touching their toes, deep squatting, you know, doing the splits and everything. You can get all that back to a certain degree. And I want my clients and patients to move better. And this is why the FRC kind of opened my eyes that, you know, you can gain that flexibility and mobility and move better if you work at it in this system. And now that I have the system, I'm going to implement it with all my clients. And it doesn't mean that I'm like, all right, we're not going to deadlift anymore. We're not going to get strong. No, I'm just adding another component that's a little bit more important in the beginning of their workouts to bulletproof their bodies. So imagine if every joint in your body was moving a little bit better. Imagine how your workouts would feel in like three to four months from now. 
Like, it's, it's going to, like, blow people's minds when they'll remember, oh, man, last year when I was goblet squatting, I could barely touch my bum to the bench. Now it's no problem. It almost feels like it's too high for me. Fucking awesome, right? So I think my whole purpose of this podcast is just to kind of give you an update of how I'm training people. I want to see really good movement because I've been, you know, Grey Cook and that whole FMS system is amazing. It's a great starting point. And you get, you know, some results when you start getting people in half-kneel positions, chops and lifts, chops and lifts, you know, reach, roll, and lift, let's do T-spine rotations, blah, blah, blah. You get people moving again, and they move better, and their brains are adapting to this new mobility stuff, and awesome. But then you hit a roadblock, and that's what I've been at for so long. I've hit a roadblock on mobility, and I've always was under the impression that, Hey, my client who is 60 years old that is hunched over because for 40 years he's been sitting at a desk, his mobility is not going to improve anymore because that's all I can do. Now go to physio and chiro to unlock your hips and upper body. Now I believe I'm able to improve their mobility even further. So I think the FRC and their system is where I'm going to lean towards for my training with my for my own and for my clients and patients moving forward. Um, I rambled a lot in this last 20 minutes, so I apologize. But this is the stuff that excites me, and I really want to dive into more. So, if anyone has any questions about it, and if you're considering of getting the um, certification yourself, like feel free to reach out to me and. For those who are just fitness enthusiasts, like hop onto my YouTube page or just go on my Facebook page. I've been posting all the cars and pails and rails and stuff, so you can actually start doing it yourself. I might even start doing some video tutorials on it, so you'll be you know set and ready to go. Because you can do cars every morning, five minutes, just move. That's all you got to do. Joints feel better when you add movement. You're meant to move. So hopefully this gave you some insight to how I train what my current thoughts are in the industry and we're going to leave it at that so please 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 share this podcast with your friends and family share it on snapchat instagram facebook pinterest or whatever the fuck social media platform you're on